the Nightmare Box presents The Art of Wargaming. I'm Yaga Malark. And I'm Thumbs. And Oni is unfortunately unable to join us tonight, and um, Thumbs is actually going to be joining us as a permanent member of the team, because Oni has been a trooper. I think I've told you guys before, he has been an absolute trooper this entire time. He has been trucking it over from another town in Montana. Now, those of you in California or from the East Coast will be like, oh, the next town over, you know, that's, that's 15 minutes away by, by freeway. What's the issue? This is Montana. So Yeah, I love you, buddy, but I would not drive over a mountain every week to yeah, do this. Yeah, bless him. He's been having to do passes to do, to do this thing. So, like, I, I applaud his efforts. I, I, I am thankful that he was able to do as much as he could, as, as long as he did. He finally told me that it just he needs to take some time <laughs> to get established <laughs> and be doing what he's doing. And, and obviously there's no hard feelings. And he is going to be coming back when he is able and as he is able. But... Um, I enjoyed having Thumbs on so much the first time that I figured that we have him on too. And then when, Th- when Oni's here, we get to have just a party. We'll just have a, a party down here and wake the whole house up. It'll be great. So, um, yeah, again, shout out to Oni. Thank you again for your hard work. We look forward to seeing you soon, bud. Love you, buddy. So this week we're talking about the nine types of ground, which is slightly different than terrain, as we were talking about last week. Uh, terrain is, is a bit more of a fixed idea, um, whereas the nine types of ground, uh, abstract. Yeah, it, it's, are we on the mountain or are we on the plains? Right, right. Are you talking about terrain or... Well, or kind of both, of but... Yeah, and I mean, they can be a lot of different things. I mean, as we saw with the last episode, some of the, the different types of terrain that we were talking about had a lot of different interpretations uh, depending on the situation they were in. You're going to find the same here. Um, but the idea is a little bit different. This uh, Last week, um, it was more about the terrain in relation to motion is what we were talking about. Terrain in, in relation to motion and into moving between and engaging your opponent on that and what that looks like. When we're talking about ground, that's more... Um, well, how you're engaging your opponent at the time. Sorry, I spaced out there for a second. And dot, dot, dot. Look around at the cat. Cat, do you know what we're talking about? Cat didn't know what we were talking about. Cat doesn't know what we're talking about. Uh, it's probably for the best. I would not want my cat to know much about war or military science. All that of humanity be. would be doomed if Cassius could do that. If he, if that and opposable uh, thumbs. Between, <laughs> the, between those two advancements, we'd be done. We'd Curse be done is foiled again. Um, but when we're talking about ground, when you see your space say it's good ground, it's, it's in, in relative terms to the enemy. And it's not so much motion, uh, moving across or motion towards or away from. It's more in terms of if you're engaging your enemy on this ground or if you are, if you are actively on this ground, what does that mean in terms of your troops, their troops, um, the dynamics involved? Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference we're dealing here. Again, uh, this this document is well over 2,000 years old, and uh, Sun Tzu might be kicking around in the afterlife and be like, I, that is not what I meant at all. Quiet Sun Tzu down listens to your eyes. podcast, huh? Uh, he obviously does. <laughs> I mean, it, his name is basically <laughs> in it. it. Like, <laughs> I, this, is, this is obvious plagiarism. He's going to come back from the dead and, and get me. Yeah, I know. I know, Sun Tzu. I know. So... Um, so that's that's kind of the differentiations there, um, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about an excellent battle that I think 
sums up. And again, we're talking about this idea of force multiplier. Terrain is an idea of force multipliers, and using ground and terrain as a force multiplier is going to be another theme for this episode. Uh, so I think that Frederick the Great will help us demonstrate that at the end. But Thumbs wants to be surprised. I'm sure you guys do too. So let's get through the rest of the intro, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this whole thing. So I had an amazing night fight recently. And Thumbs, who is not as well uh, schooled in, in Warhammer 40k... I have uh, no idea what a night fight is. Why to ask me what a night fight was. Very, It's Warhammer 40k, as I already alluded to, and those of you who play Warhammer 40k will know that the large Lord of War units for the Imperium and Chaos are called Knights. A night fight is just when you tell your buddy beforehand, I'm bringing a bunch of knights, and they bring some knights, and then you'd have a good old fight with your knights, and the benefit to this... So would that be, like, using Gazi, Gazagul Althraka in the orcs, or, like, like big hero characters is what you're saying? No, I'm talking, if you turn around in your chair right now, I've got a Stompa on the, on the thing ah, back there. Okay. See that big old going? Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool. knight. That's, well, that's a, a, it's a lord of war, but it's, it's, it's like a knight, the orc version of a knight. Big boys. Giant robots. I get you. Dibigans. Um... So yeah, I, I, uh, I've been enjoying that for two reasons. One, knights are really cool. I know in the meta, um, it can be really a toss-up of what kind of list you're going against with a knight list, whether or not you're going to be successful. Um, but with this chaos knight list that I've been running, I've been feeling like it is uh, just a very nice build in of itself. It, it, I, I feel like I can engage whatever I need to engage mm-hmm. uh, with it fairly effectively. Now, I haven't been against every single type of list, so maybe there's a gene stealer list out there that I just I cannot handle because I <laughs> I just didn't know to prep for it. They're coming for you. Um, but yeah, so I had a really good fight against Warmaster Sumatai uh, a little bit ago, and the, the fight went pretty well in my favor. It was a good fight, I recall, uh, and then just there were a couple... Cl- key clutch rounds that went to, towards me, uh, capitalized on what was going on and moved. The, the problem with knights uh, using them is that, I mean, they're, they're colossally powerful. I know I, 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 I need to get you into a game of 40k at this point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Thumbs to play a couple games of 40k with me and maybe some kill team so that when I'm sitting here uh, talking about it, he's not going completely glassy-eyed over there. I can have um, responses other than, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's neat. What's that? Um, <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the awesome thing about knights is they're usually very powerful they have a lot of high powered weaponry on them they're good in com- like melee combat um, they've got a lot of life they've got high toughness so you've got a lot of good perks to mm-hmm. having a knight the downside is they cost a lot of points so every single knight that you have is a really big point sink and so if we're talking about a let's say a guard army that has 200 models in it, and then I bring my knight list out, and it has six. Yeah. Same, same points, but mine is considerably smaller. Now, they're very powerful. If you don't have the things to deal with them, they can just stomp all over you. But, but if you lose it, you lose so much. Right. You lose, you lose your big... If I lose my knight uh, Castellan or my knight Tyrant, that's 700 points. Just gone. Mm-hmm gone off the board. That's nearly a half of my army that just went piff. So that's it's a big deal. What are you point? What's your point levels at? Like fifteen hundred? Um, I typically do two thousand point matches. Okay. Um, uh, those are my that that's fairly standard for the ITC. 
um, in, when mo- I, in most areas. When I very briefly played Warhammer 40k like 10 years ago, we mm-hmm. were doing like maybe 1,000 point armies because we were all just starting to collect. And when I was first starting, or any time that I've like, because I've got seven, eight armies at this point, I've like, lost count. Um, but every time I've started a new one, every time I got I'm low on points, that's when I'm doing mm-hmm. the, the, the thousand point matches and twelve hundred point matches, whatever. But as soon as I can do a two thousand point match, I like to because I like having options. I feel like having a two thousand point list gives me the ability to put um, plan B's in the list. Well, and for something like a knife fight, it actually makes them doable because right. like if it's a 700 point army that's you're not doing anything else no that's just the one yeah <laughs> okay we're doing a 700 point match uh, okay I'm bringing one knight just the one this will be fine and it saves on my back too that's the other big <laughs> issue is like I, I, when I, every time I do my orc list I love playing orcs I mean I, I have about a 50-50 win ratio maybe a little better with orcs they're not as good I'm not as good with them as I am with my other stuff I just like playing them um, but yeah, there is terrible on my back <laughs> because there's so many of them. And so you're sitting there moving them. Every single one of them, just five more inches, five more inches, five more inches. Yeah, we're charging now. Okay, twelve more inches. <laughs> and the problem is when you're doing the swarm, you have to deal with the swarm. I've got to get trays. I've got to get the movement trays at some point. I just uh, it's it's the next step for me to be mm-hmm. able to play some of my fa- my my swarm armies that I have. But with knights, you don't have to worry about that. You move. Like, it takes you like five seconds to move your models, and you're like, okay, cool. Now we move on to the shooting phase. This game's going to go four times as fast. Exactly. At least if everybody's using knights. I've definitely been at where I, like, I bring my knights, and then I don't know what Kaji's going to bring tomorrow. We've got a game tomorrow that I'll tell you guys about next week. Um, but yeah, so uh, my night fight was fun. I enjoyed myself. Um, uh, the other thing we want to talk about before we get started into the, again, the meat and potatoes of this episode is the idea of, of who these shows are meant for. Okay? We were on episode 11 at this point, and I, I, I honestly don't, I, I know a few of the people who listen to us because you've reached out to me and I appreciate that, um, but I wanted to kind of clarify as to who I and, and our fellow co-hosts intend this material for. It's good to have a mission statement. It is, it is, and I'm not. I'm not. I know we've been over this briefly a couple of times, but I wanted to make sure that I, I guess I stressed it. Um, when we're talking about gaining an edge over your opponent, when we're talking about manipulating the field of battle to your advantage, um, heck, even when we're talking about whatever, whatever is giving you the upper hand, what we're not talking about is cheating. Or rules bending. Uh, I, I intend this material for people who are rules abiding, who enter into this sport in good faith with their fellow uh, combatants, with their fellow participants, um, it, it, that you're going to abide by the same rules, you're going to abide by the same code. And th- this isn't the, the quote unquote honor thing that we talk about, not stabbing people in the back or whatever. If it's That's legal within the game. Rules. When Will I'm Wheaton has a internet rule. Like the the law of the internet, according to Will Wheaton, is don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, if we're on the field and your back's against me, yeah, I'm gonna take out your back, but I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna. Mean. I'm, I'm not gonna try to. I'm not gonna try to bleed you. 
And the other thing is, obviously, in it, like we have a light call. If you play Bellagarth, and I don't know if this is the same for Amp Guard, but I know that it is for, for Dagger here and for SCA, where we have a hit calibration, where if something just doesn't connect right, you say light. That doesn't mean that that scale slides. Like it shouldn't. It shouldn't matter who who you're fighting against. It shouldn't matter if you like the person or not. It shouldn't matter if they're your friend or your enemy, your unit mate, or somebody you don't know, or somebody. Again, it, it, none of these things should matter. It should be the same across the board. If I notice that I'm taking hits that are considerably lighter than everybody else around me, um, I mean, actually, I, I like that. I don't mind that so much at all. But if I'm if I'm the only person in the realm or at the at the event who has to be hit a certain way to take my hit, I'm a cheater. Yeah. At that point, like that, the, that you're, you're playing a different game than everybody else is playing, and that's just not cool. The closest I'll come to like changing how I take shots is when I'm fighting brand new people. I'll be more likely to take a shot than I wouldn't otherwise. But afterwards, I'll usually be like, hey, man, you need to hit just a little bit harder. But if I'm facing you or Kaji or Turkey or whoever, I'm not going to be like, well, I like Turkey a lot, so I'll take his shot. Right, like, right, exactly. <laughs> no, and, and it has nothing to do with that. Like, it, it, It's about honoring... We're entering into a contract. It's one of the few things that we have as human beings that actually matter. It's a social contract in which we agree to act a certain way in order to achieve an aim together. It's a community thing that is that is the most standard of human operations, mm-hmm. and it is so essential for us as a society to function. Cheating goes against that fundamentally because you are breaking that contract by going fundamentally against it. Yeah. Um, so is, that that is that's just not what we're talking about here. And and if and if we're not going to abide by the contract, if we're going, to, why are we bothering gaming anyways? Why are we bothering having foam on these weapons if we're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to take what I'm going to take? Fine, let's just let's just hit each other at that point. <laughs> just that becomes way less interesting <laughs> to me. I'm sore enough with foam. Right. Well, I mean, like, if, if we're using, like, real weapons is what I'm talking about. Like, let's just <laughs> stop playing. Like, if we're actually going to, if we're not going to agree to something. So, like, that's where it is for me. If we're entering into this, it should be something good faith. And it should be something where we're, we're trying to accomplish something together uh, as a community. Train, build each other up, practice skills. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be in good faith. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Um... Yeah. Uh, oh, oh volu- that was the other thing on here that I wanted to talk about. Um, with, with Thumbs being on, like we had talked about last time, the other huge thing about what makes these communities work, what makes tournaments in Warhammer 40k and in Bellagarth work, is volunteerism. And we're not talking about giving up your entire weekend, your entire no, vacation. No, we're talking about making sure that no one has to give up their entire weekend. Right. Because if, if there's very few people volunteering, that means that the few people who do usually get sucked into a lot. Excuse me. A lot more. We've lost a lot of really good people from burnout that way. Oh, totally. Of, of just people who are like, I, I love you guys, but I just don't have the emotional energy to, Cause to do givers. all this. Yeah. They're givers, you know. Anytime they see a need, they're like, oh, I'm going to fill that need. And then they realize that they, the entire week-long event or the entire week-long tournament, they've spent it working the <laughs> the first time I helped run a Chaos Wars when I ran like the field and the tourneys and everything, I basically worked ten hour days for seven days straight on my days off, and I had fun and it was worth doing. But like, I could do that once. I 
right. and I'll put in a bit of hours every day, but like I need to make sure that I have me hours, and the best way for that to happen is for more people to have volunteer time. Like I said, this is something I require of my apprentices, and oh, yeah. I, I recommend it for everybody who does this, an hour of volunteering, or a shift, a shift of volunteering every day. Or, or or one shift for every day of an event. If you want to get them all out of the way in one day, if it's a four-day event and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to spend this whole day at Troll. I'm just going to spend the whole day uh, checking names and taking money and, and getting people into the event. Awesome. You did that. And, and then you get to go and enjoy yourself. I, I actually used to have a slightly different view of this because I used to have the idea of, like, new people shouldn't have to volunteer. I think it's really good for them to volunteer. And that's where I was like, new people shouldn't have to volunteer. They should enjoy the game, get that love in, and then put their time in. But I'm deciding that I was wrong on that. And not like, you have to volunteer a lot, but just start with that idea of everyone helps out and everyone gets more out of it. Uh so it's really intrinsic. So it's not what has to become a learned behavior of being like, oh, do you need a herald? Oh, do you need a... It still is a sense of ownership. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, we all make this community work. We all make this community function. We all make the event happen. And if if, uh, if everybody pitches in, it makes it way easier for everybody else. And I, I, I agree with you. That's a good lesson to learn early. Kind of ties back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago of just really emphasis on community. Right. If everyone's volunteering a little bit, and then everyone's also getting to fight really hard on the field, and then going off and not having those... Not having, like, oh, you didn't volunteer enough. Right. Uh, get in the way of the community around, or you volunteer too much, or whatever. And, and people have weird days. Like, even even when I try to keep up with the standard, like I'm talking about, like, I remember one of the last battles for the rings I went to, um, they put hay down. And, it, and that's... Oh, yeah, if you're going to poison I'm, yourself, I'm, don't do it. I'm not smacking anything about the staff. I, I mean, they made a decision that they had to make at the last minute. It is not usually that wet. In Southern California, if, if anybody else was there, it was the year that it just like rained nonstop for like the first two days. It was like there were rivers. Flood for the ring. <laughs> Flood for the ring. I mean, it was it was nice because any any of those events are way more again community based. You end up going to camps you wouldn't normally go to. You're sitting there smoking cigarettes or or having drinks with people you wouldn't normally have met, and that's that's all pretty cool. But you went there to not be rained on but with what they did for because it, it it stopped raining but the ground was still super wet and so they put down hay and my normal thing was i would go and do weapons check that's my my volunteer thing that i can do i go and do weapons check in the morning and then i'm off for the rest of the day but um, it's a little hard to do that when you have hay fever right and the weapons are covered in uh, guess the, what hey the only uh, i didn't actually bring my allergy meds because i was like i'm going to the desert where i don't have any allergies i'll be fine and then the only thing they had was benadryl and i was like i can't function if i'm sleeping yeah i wouldn't have even thought of it i would have been like it's january why would i need right. my claritin right. <laughs> So it was, uh, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. I, yeah, I, don't I, I hurt yourself with volunteering. I tried, I tried Just... to herald as a, as a, to make up for that. But yeah, uh, these none of these things are hard and fast rules. But if everybody gives a little, uh, it, it keeps a few people from having to give a lot. Think of it as like the PBS model of gaming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way to think about it. <laughs> with less tote bags. Um and you meet a lot of cool people doing it too. Some of my best friends in Bellegarth 
um, I met while doing security most like especially when I was younger and I stayed up later and I was guaranteed to stay up stay up later I'd do security and I ended up meeting the coolest people doing the late night security shift security is a really good one if it's an event that you haven't been too much and you want to like get a crash course in the area very much so um, the same thing with trash pickup I know that's not a super glamorous one but it, there people are a few, love you. there are a few people who are more praised <laughs> or more appreciated. Like you, you go around doing trash pickup, people see you that night. They will absolutely usually offer you a drink. Uh, they'll they'll invite you into their camp with open arms because you you're the person who made their camp less stinky. Bellagarth life hacks. That's right. <laughs> these are these little social currencies that we're telling you about. Trash detail. Uh, oh, God, it's so noisy when I shift in this chair. Oh, it's a recliner. <laughs> so yeah, that's our that's our little spiel for for today. Uh, anything else before we we get into the? No, I think we're pretty much set here. All right. Well, let's talk about then the nine types of ground, and of course the these these types of ground and how they relate to to war gaming because the uh, the needs and the descriptions are going to be different based on Warhammer or Belagarth because they are a little bit different in terms of how you play them and how you approach the field and everything along mm-hmm. those lines. So the first one that we're going to talk about is dispersing ground. Uh, and this is in your own territory. And Sun Tzu says that you should not, you should try not to fight in dispersing ground, and you should focus on binding your army together with a common purpose. Um, and, and what I think about for dispersing ground is, at least in terms of Belagarth, you haven't even gotten on the field yet. Yeah, don't fight tripping over your own tent. But um, think about the edge of the field when your realm or your unit is getting uh, formed up to go on to the uh, um, onto the field, mm-hmm. or when you are in camp and you're trying to get everybody motivated to go onto the field. Now, I've been in, a, in larger units before where you'll get everybody together, and then. There'll be a delay for whatever reason. The, the higher-ups will need to chat about something or confirm the time of something. Or yeah, nothing ever happens perfectly on schedule. Right. But then you'll notice that a few people wander off. They've wandered off to take a smoke break or they, they forgot something at their tent or they just need to do something. Oh, I just got to go get some water real fast. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one has ruined me many times when I've been headed to the field. Because as the name of this type of ground implies, it dispersing means that your troops are more likely to leave <laughs> and and, and uh, go back to where they came from. Um, and so it, the idea is to try to get your troops on the, on the field, on, onto the field quickly. Don't delay um, on the side. Don't delay in camp. If you're trying to move together, move together and maintain that motivation. It's very easy to, to lose it. Unless you're a very disciplined group. I know, I know groups that uh, when they go to the field, they're expected. Like Because it's the, the unit fight, they always fight together. There is absolutely the expectation that everybody will be there. They've all been told to be there. You know, There's, there's not going to be a whole lot of worry mm-hmm. there. But most units are not quite that militaristic in their approach. Um, and so the, the risk of losing people to quote-unquote desertion uh, is very real. Uh, actually, at the last Chaos Wars, the Gelf had a conversation basically about this, of like making it a celebration of going to the field to get people right. out there, like get some of the non-com fighters to come to, or not, yeah, uh, some of the non-coms to come to, and like bring things to like cheer with. Like they even talked about making a little like 
Chinese dragon in the shape of the Gelf snake. See, that would be cool. That would be so good. Everybody else uh, would have to up their game if you guys did that. Well, and start doing that and start making it fun to come to the field and making it so if you do stop to get some water or something, you don't have to wander all the way back to camp, but like right there. There's a little station or, or something. Yeah, the, the more you can keep people around the field, the easier it is to keep people on the field. And these are, this is all binding together with common purpose. As mm-hmm. you notice what Sun Tzu said, you're, you're saying it exactly as well. This, this marching together or making it fun or having the things that you're going to need there, that's something that I've noticed with the Brotherhood of the Falcon. Uh, they're very good about making sure that all the weapons, the water they'll need, the the shade that they're gonna need, the chairs that they're gonna need. Yeah, they come prepped. That's already all there, <laughs> and they, ready to go. I'm like, well, there's a tree with some kind of shade over there. I can sit on a root. That'll be fine. As a dark angel, I love the fact that the Brotherhood or Triad because it means that <laughs> you can just mooch. My lazy butt can just roll up and be like, "Hey, cousins, mind if I snag a corner of your How's shade?" How's it going? Because you notice that everything else be nice and orderly, and then you're, like the one corner of the tent will just be this pile of dark angel shields and we love you guys we just want you to know that we love you and we appreciate that um so again dispersing ground uh it's easy to linger it's easy to get left behind it's easy to find better things to do so move out of it fairly quickly um with warhammer 40k think about this as the, the the time before you work up the motivation to uh glue your models together or to do your paint project or to do your, or, or even schedule a game. I mean, I, I know that for me, the longer I go without scheduling a game of 40K, the harder it seems that it is to schedule a game of 40K because it's, I, I don't know. I, you get out of the habit. You get out of the habit. You forget how to initiate the conversation. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's, it, so this dispersing ground is also, can be a state of mind. It's it's working up the motivation to go and do the thing. It also works for Bell. If you're talking about a garb project or a weapon project, get out of that dispersing ground. Don't stay, don't stay where it's comfortable. Bind yourself together with this purpose and move out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, th- I didn't think I was... I, I, I thought that was going to be a hard one to talk about. I actually... You're doing solid <laughs> here. I'm, I'm very proud. I'm to ramble about that <laughs> one. So, uh, anything else to say about dispersing ground? Not really. Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Go do the thing. Go do the thing. Um, so after you're in dispersing ground, uh, and again, we're talking about in terms of, of relation to the enemy, uh, comes slight ground. And slight ground is a short way into hostile territory. Um... And Sun Tzu says that you should not halt here, but keep in a close formation. So when you're thinking about slight ground in terms of the Belagarth field, um, if you think about the halfway point of the field, literally as you approach that or have crossed that halfway point, that is slight ground. What I was thinking of is, you see it a lot with new people. They will like take their step and like halfway through the step, they'll be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this and like, falter, you see it with them throwing shots, you see it with like four of them moving forward, where there's that point where they recognize that if they go farther, they will engage and they hesitate right there. And that makes it real easy to like not just new people. Well, yeah, but that's true. Anybody who, but, who loses, because even the Sun Tzu says here, you got to keep that formation. And when we're talking about formation, it doesn't necessarily have to be everybody who's going left, left, your left, right, left. No, it, or it's just maintaining that line, maintaining cohesion. Um, 
which is uh, a necessity in Warhammer 40k, but is is a good thing to do in, in Belagarth too, which is to stay within good distance of your allies, supporting distance. Yeah, close enough that you can help out when or something be helped. happens. Or be yeah, helped. Exactly. Uh, you don't want to be in a position where you're like, well, I got swarmed because I was two steps further than I should have been from my, my the nearest shield person. Well, uh, You can always spear. tell when you take one step too far. As the spear right there, you're like, I'm good, I'm good. Ah, oh, no. Well, you, you, you know because somebody starts to look real hungry. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> that shield is start. Hobbit is looking hungry. Dang it. Dang it, I'm too far out. Um... So yeah, this uh, being a short way into hostile territory, and you want to keep up that momentum. Remember, in dispersing ground, you're, you're working up that motivation to start moving. You're keeping every bound together in purpose. In slight ground, you're maintaining the momentum. Do not halt. Keep together in close formation. Um, this this stuttering thing that you've talked about, I've also seen it in 40k, where where somebody will get close to the opponent and then they'll hesitate for whatever reason. I see it all the time when I'm playing Admech. Somebody will be charging my, my Castellan robots. Not actually charging, but they'll be moving in toward my Castellan robots or moving in toward my Onagers. And then toward the last minute, they decide to like move to the side and like not actually charge. It's like, why wouldn't you just follow through? Like I, my, my dudes do not do well in melee. <laughs> and so... You you not coming in. I think even in gaming, people have this this natural urge to avoid the idea of getting hurt. Like, you're aware that yeah. this could hurt, and so you hesitate for a moment. You have to actually kind of, like, train yourself to, like, nah, it's a game. Even if it does hurt, I'll be okay. Right. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, but the, I mean, the fear of being hurt is absolutely there. Um, I hate to quote Fight Club, because, of course, <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk did not mean that as a guide to life, but once you figure out that you're not made of glass, um, it's a lot easier to do things. And and I don't know. After I took my first really good head red hit to the head, and it didn't kill me. I mean, it smarted. I I, I can't tell you that it didn't smart, um, or it didn't ring me real good. But I survived it, and yeah. I, I was. I wouldn't say I was no worse for wear, but it's one of those things that after after you realize that you're not delicate, and some people come into it already knowing that they've already done martial arts or they've already done some form of fighting, and they they don't have that hesitation. But for the rest of us, pointing at myself, um, like I winced for the longest time. Every time somebody would throw a shot, I'd close my eyes. How the how how in heaven's name are you supposed to block a shot with your eyes closed the first things I teach people is like don't close your eyes when you're throwing the shot and don't pull your head back because that's the other thing people like look away right right and don't put your shield in front of your face because if your shield is in front of your face you can't see what's happening and they can't see what's happening either and headshots both ways just quadruple uh, it's it's an easy thing to want to do because you want to protect your head, but you're not actually protecting yourself when you can't see. Uh, and when your eyes are closed, like I was saying, you can't block a shot that you can't see coming. I love fainting people. Uh, and some of the easiest people to faint are when you throw that, that fake high cross, they close their eyes, and it's like, okay, cool, I can move wherever I want to now. And you don't know where it's going. Yeah. Because you're not looking. <laughs> and that works out for me. So the same thing is with this momentum. Don't hesitate. Uh, in, the, in the face of the enemy, be bold and continue through and, and, and do not halt in this, this slight ground. Um, 
Yeah, anything else to say on slight ground? It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty straightforward. Contentious ground is the next one, and this one's a little contentious <laughs> in definition as well. It says it's of equal benefit to both, uh, but do not be too hasty to attack. Instead, bring up your rear guard. So I would I would say that contentious ground would be if you've got two large forces that have not quite uh, gone against each other yet, and they both have perhaps lost momentum looking at each other, and you've got this big area in between, about three sword lengths mm-hmm. most of the time, um, that has become contentious ground at this point. may not have been 15 seconds ago, but it is now. Um, and it's of equal benefit to both to move forward or to be aggressed upon. So don't go in, in for the direct attack is what Sun Tzu is saying here. Don't don't be too eager to be the first out into that dead space, but make sure that you're reinforced. Bring up your rear guard. And, and it kind of tracks back to an old idiom of uh, you're not really guaranteed victory unless you can have uh, half again their numbers. Right. Or ten to one is one of the things they talk about. Yeah, I remember that from the last chapter we did. Uh, it, it's too too easy for some small thing to go wrong and suddenly your even numbers are not even numbers anymore. Right. And then even if you win, you've probably lost so many people that if there's another group there, you are hurting. You're not really able to go on full strength. And, and at worst, if you've got this contentious ground, and let's let's say again, let's extend this definition to say contentious ground, meaning not just equal ground itself, but equal numbers, equal strength, like everything is equal, it is contentious. It's a contentious situation. Worst case scenario, you obliterate each other, mm-hmm. and you've left an opening that your your opponent can exploit. Um, because not only like you took away as much strength as they did, that's not winning. That's attrition, <laughs> and and attrition has never worked out well unless the numbers are on your side. And in this particular case, Sun Tzu is saying in this situation, the numbers are not on your side. Um, because we don't have just more bodies we can constantly throw at it, unless you're doing a regen battle, in which case contentious ground might not be as a big of an issue to you. Mm-hmm. But if you've only got the one life in the in the game type, or if this is Warhammer 40k and you've only got the one army or the one unit, don't be too hasty. I know we were just saying in the slight ground, move on through. At some point you got to fight, but like, but be con- smart about where you fight. But contentious ground is one where you're not going to gain a clear advantage. It's of equal benefit which is, say, n- no clear advantage, and you're always trying to play to, your, to an advantage in these situations. That's, that, that, that's always the, the, the end game, is to have the most advantages, because at that point, you don't have to actually fight as hard. If mm-hmm. you've got the, again, the, like force multipliers, right? It helps that out. <sighs> yeah, I think, again, I think that one's fairly, fairly straightforward, too. Um, nice thing about Sun Tzu. Once you explain it, it actually makes a lot of it, sense. It it's, does. It does. There's <laughs> a reason it's lasted for, what, 2,000 years, you were saying? More than that, because, uh, I mean, this was, I always I keep forgetting when this was written. I, I, I've read over it 10,000 times. Um, but this was, it's over 2,000 years old, because it was back in, it's here somewhere. Uh, this is from somewhere. Oh no, it's not even two thousand years old because this is written somewhere between uh, nine sixty and twelve uh, seventy nine. Um, okay, it's still like a thousand years old though. 
Oh no, this version of the text is from the Song Dynasty. Um, it was it was written. I, that's that. Yeah, Warren states seventy six. It says uh, f- four seventy five to two twenty one, somewhere in there, uh, because of what he references. It was like twenty five hundred years. Thinking about you, Rama. Romance of the Three Kingdoms. See, I didn't forget it. I got it tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really funny. <laughs> I got it in like this, this really like loopy lettering, very very uh, uh, calligraphy esque. Mm, it's, yeah. it's, it's artwork. Um, who's that rapper with all the face tattoos? Um, Post Malone. That's the guy. That's the guy. I'll be the new Post Malone. Oh, buddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I spit hot fire. Okay. Moving onwards. <laughs> Open ground uh, is a lot like it suggests. Access and egress uh, is equal to both. Uh, you want to maintain communications and look to your defenses. Most Belagarth matches will be taking place on open ground. Yeah. And it might shift back and forth as to whether or not it's contentious because of where people are, but most ground that we do battle for is open ground because it's selected for that. Yeah, we tend to do big flat parks. It's the easiest thing. You don't have to worry about people running into things. You don't have to worry about sprained ankles or tripping or, or anything along those lines without the obstacles and hazards. Now, that being said, some choice events. I'm looking at you, uh, Ragnarok, Armageddon, right? You guys got them forest battles. A lot of you Easterners enjoy your woodsies. Uh, Thabral is a small northern one, but Thabral. it's got a great little field for... It's in Idaho. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls or area. near. Cat. Oh, my God. He's back to his thing. I, I know you folks have probably uh, been missing Cassius. He's been really good the last couple of times and like sleeping during the recording sessions. Not tonight. He is a little playful. Very excited to see Thumbs um, and uh, wandering all over the place. It's getting a two way street, though, buddy. You stay over here. Yeah, you're not near the wires. <laughs> not the that wires. much of a two way street, but. So in this open ground, um, like he suggests, you're maintaining communications. And in Bell, obviously, we don't have runners going back and forth. We're not large enough to came for that. But you, you want to maintain just communication with your allies. You want to make sure that everybody's on the same game plan. Um, I know that what one of the best things to do is as we're approaching a line, I'm going to turn to the people to either side of me and let them know what I'm about to do. Yeah. Um, people who, like charge the other line and then don't tell your partners like that's a suicide run yeah <laughs> I've, I've had multiple people just be like hey bam push the well why didn't you follow well because i didn't know you were gonna do that flanking maneuvers work best when you've got someone to fix the corner somebody to roll a shallow flank and then somebody to roll a deep flank. Wide flank yep deep flank if you've got those three People and again, you got to communicate. The timing has to be right for these things to work. Because if somebody goes up, fixes the corner, and the flankers aren't moving, okay, cool, fixed corner, whatever. Flankers are moving, not a fixed corner. Okay, the corner turns back. You've got a whole new front. Uh, it all has to move together, and the, and to be able to do that, there has to be communication. Whether that communication has happened beforehand, whether it's a familiarity with fighting styles because you just have fought together so darn often, or whether it's because you turn to the person next to you and say, "Hey, I'm gonna do a thing. I'm fixing to do this." Don't just Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> that that's the perfect reference there. Yeah, that that very much explains that. I, all you gay, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. You guys have seen this uh, Leroy Jenkins character. Um, just don't be that guy. It's not the guy you want to be. Um, and this is the same thing in in um, 
in Warhammer 40k. But instead of communications, we're talking more about the continuity between uh, not just your individual pieces, but between units and in your bubbles. Um, look to your defenses and make sure that your bubbles aren't getting too far apart. I cannot tell you the number of times I've started off with a really good uh, Zneech demon bomb. <clears throat> I've had all my heralds where I need to to increase that strength. I've had my demon pr prince in there to be doing the rerolls on ones. I've had my big lord of change in there to make sure that the morale is on point. Like you've, you've got that going on, and then you start to approach the enemy lines, and it fractures. You know, you got one group that starts to head toward the enemy. You know, uh, heavy units, and then some are going toward the infantry, and suddenly the, these these bonuses that I've put together are no longer functioning because everybody's too far apart Sun Tzu is saying keep it together look to your defenses maintain that communication which is to say maintain that cohesion and you're going to be just fine mm -hmm. from your response I think we're ready to move on yeah. to linking ground and this is another one that is dependent on the situation uh, and it's when he, he says is when you're bordering three states and you want to form alliances and strengthen those alliances at the same time now I think there's a couple of different ways we can take this particular one. When you're looking at the field of battle, if we're thinking about a unit battle, a realm battle, um, in 40k you don't typically have fights between multiple people, but occasionally you do have a carnage match, I suppose. Uh, not in a tournament situation. Um, but, so in a unit battle, not necessarily alliances, but I know I, I very rarely will form an alliance with somebody who's right next to me because that's where I need to move. Mm -hmm. But one of the best things you can do, and like we were talking about in previous episodes, you know, you're generating those relationships, you're talking with people, making with those little fireside chats that are so important, and maybe the next day on the field, I'm in my unit, you're over there in you, your unit, and I happen to catch your eye, and I look at the unit in between us, and you look at the unit in between us, we nod at each other, I turn to my unit, say what's going on. You, you turn to your unit, say what's going on, and suddenly we have multiplied our numbers. Yeah, if, if there's a group that outnumbers me in particular, I'll look at the person next to me and maybe be like, all right, you go left, I'll go right, and well, if we meet in the middle, that's fine. But Exactly, exactly. So, so on the field, this really works uh, on account of the fact, uh, because you can, again, if there's, if there's a group that's outnumbering everybody else, you can maneuver against them and make your numbers count for more and, and make it so it's not just a numbers game. I, I, I've been to too many events where just the largest unit won every single time because they would just wait for the smaller units to get into their infighting, reduce their numbers, and then just walk around and roll up the field. Yeah, there was, especially, uh, it was kind of in the meta for a little while at Chaos Wars to do super groups, two units teamed up and suddenly they right. just outnumbered everyone else. Uh, and it kind of fell out of vogue in the last couple of years just because it wasn't fun. Like Everyone got stomped but one side that won without trying. So, like, eh, number game get real old real fast. It's, it's also cool to win with your side. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, for what, it's one thing. To, like, I was part of Team Quetzalcoatl the one year, and that was a lot of fun. But it's also cool to be out there and be like, you know what, my team won this 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 event or this tournament or whatever it was. Um, and now I've never really been in a unit that's done very much of that. I mean, the Dark Angels are great fighters, and we do... I, I'm, I'm very proud of my unit, but we are not overachievers. Now, that might be changing. <laughs> some, of the, some of the new blood is is 
really wanting to have, be, have more of a field presence. We've and got a similar thing. We're starting to, like, we used to be really good with field presence, and then we got comfortable. Yep. And we we still hit hard, but we weren't as, like, always there. And it's part of what we were talking about the dragon earlier, of trying right. to relearn to, like, be there, and more importantly, be seen being there. Right, right. Yeah, because you want to have a reputation for that. I mean, if if you're a fighting unit, there's some units that don't particularly care about that because it's not their focus, um, and that's cool. But if you want to be a fighting unit, you want to make sure that you're seen, your colors are seen out there, um, because this this also can help with this linking thing. If you're a, if you're a constant presence on the field, if people know you're you're a known quantity, you can be depended upon. They're going to work with you more likely. Um, this also works in the abstract, like when we're talking about larger in terms of in like realms. Um, it's really good to form alliances and good relationships with your with your brother and sister realms. Um, uh, the closest realm to us, basically, the, the closest large realm is Wrath. There's Wrath, uh, and then there's up north. There's what is that? That's um... oh god, my squire goes there. I'm going to get in trouble for not remembering the name. Uh, the Idaho Falls one, the Arid Duoth. No, that's. That's down in Utah. That's Utah. And I always get it mixed up with Ebenhold? Maybe, uh, yeah, that sounds more like it. That sounds more like it. Yeah, so the, the, the Idaho. The Thaw people. Yeah, uh, they're about six hours. They're about six, eight hours away from us. And we like to really try to attend their events and to support them and help them out. And they make a huge effort to come up and attend our events, bless them. Because yeah, so when we're away. this far away. <laughs> they're the only ones who typically make it up. It's always fun when new people... Like come to our event for the first time, and I'm like, "Oh, and they're like, oh, that's good, but man, that's a long ride. It's a long ride." And I'm like, "Yeah, now you understand why I only make like two events a year, and, and we have to, and we have to make it every time for every event." Mm-hmm. I mean, but going out east, it, we were spoiled. Like I've said before, I felt like there were you could go to an event every single weekend within within three hours, within like a three or four hour driving distance. I remember nuts. Sir Anastasia who lives in. Southern Cal- California, She's I don't Sorco. Yeah. Uh, saying that it's not worth her time to travel more than an hour. I think it was to go to hit an event with less than a hundred people, which is a bizarre concept. We often don't get events with a hundred people, right? It's cool when we get. Over oh yeah, that's great. People. Like when I started for first to hit my, uh, my first event that was like over a thousand people, I was stoked. Uh, it was. It was. I think my biggest number is still only like seven hundred. Like I've never hit over a thousand. Uh, there was a battle for the ring that was over a thousand, and then uh, Auckfest. Yeah. And then, uh, pretty sure that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ragnarok was was absolutely. It's uh, it, it's just before Christmas when we're filming, recording this, and uh, I keep getting people lately being like, "Are you going to battle for the ring?" I'm like, "That's over a thousand miles for me." Like, I'd I'd love to, but we like to. It's just it's just a financial commitment for us because I mean we're old enough at this point that like I, in our early twenties, uh, we could drive down there uh, in a single sitting, and you know do the do the overnighter thing. And get there, set up, pass out for a few hours, and then get right to it. We're just, we're not that spry anymore. We have to get a hotel halfway through and probably take our time the next day. And there's, you want to eat a bit more than just uh, jerky and Cheez-Its on the road. And uh, so there's more of a financial commitment. Well, I'm I'm an old fogey. I'm getting married (laughs) in June. I have very limited time off. And that is a lot of, like, time and effort to do. Which is too bad. I love it. I want to go again. But, whew. 
yeah, I plan to make it again, but just when we can make a trip out of it. But yeah. I, so I totally understand when they're like, why would we be able to come north? It's like we're not even offering a gigantic event. No, we're like offering that. like maybe 50 people. So if you're just coming up for that, like I, I've, I've met, there's been several people who've come up and they've done it as like a part of a, a bigger summer trip where they've come up and they've hit the, the War of the Gate, which is our, our quote unquote big event of the year and then they'll hit uh, Glacier National Park and then Yellowstone National Park and they'll, they'll make like a Montana trip out of yeah, it yeah people have a lot of fun when they do that but yeah. we don't get a lot of them doing no. that no uh, but that makes it more worth it for people who are f- traveling as far as, as some people have to travel uh, but this is to say that linking ground is important even if you're taking it for granted um, even if you're in a place where there's a lot of realms around it still pays to be in good with the people who are around you, not just for that exchange of bodies and support for when you're doing an event, they show up, and when they're doing an event, you show up, but also if you find yourself on the field, and I know there's been several times where I've been the only Stygian at an event, Yeah, and then Wrath will be like, hey, just come fight with us. That's partially due to the fact that we have a good relationship between our two realms. Every time that I've been to Battle for the Ring, which is my big long-distance one, that's why I keep mentioning it, uh... I've we've done the Montana Idaho Alliance because right. neither one had quite enough people to really be like noteworthy alone. But together we were okay, and we roughly knew what the other person was going to do. Right, right, similar style, and that in that same idea, a, a good way that goes toward this linking uh, is to have units that span multiple realms. I know that the Brotherhood of the Falcon um, is a strong linking point between mm-hmm. here and Wrath. Uh, Gelf is as well. Yeah. We have um, a lot of people in Wrath and then we have a lot of people in Oregon and Wrath kind of serves as the like center of the empire. The, the crux. Yeah. If it were, yeah. One of those awkwardly timed moments where I was taking him, my vape, he was taking a drink of water. Nobody was there to fill the dead space. We're super majestic at this job. Majestic. So that's the linking ground. Um, <laughs> not so much of that for the... I'm trying to think of it for 40K, and I think I would just be stretching it. Uh, I think it goes into the same idea as, as keeping things together in your bubbles. Um, make sure that uh, when, when everything's close together like that, when you're bordered, that everything stays bubbled, and you're going to be fine. Um, the next type of ground that we're talking about is significant ground. Uh, now, significant ground, like it says, is you're deep in hostile territory. Sun Tzu advises that you should plunder, but also protect your supply train. Uh, and we're not walking to battle with a bunch of backpacks and bedding, uh, so the supply train is, again, a bit more of an abstract for us here. Yeah, that'd be like stealing the si- someone's stuff on the side of the field, and don't. Don't. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the plunder we're talking about. It's the exact opposite um, of the lesson of this episode we were talking in the beginning about being a good community member um don't don't jack people's stuff anyway sorry part of that so deep in hostile territory we we tend to think of this as a flanking maneuver um and so uh, i think we've explained what flanking is i i it's like the oblique is what they talk about in classical warfare we call it flanking in in modern war gaming um the same idea for for 40k um, plunder it means to take advantage of the opportunities presented to you. If you've got backs, or if you've got the ability to disrupt your enemy's formation, or, or the enemy's momentum, or, or, or their line, or whatever's going on, um, this is what we call by, by plunder. It's not necessarily uh, taking their stuff, but taking their battlefield edge, taking their initiative away mm-hmm. from them would be the plundering. But also protecting your supply train, which is to say 
maintaining your connection with the rest of the army. Do not become so disconnected that you can be easily wrapped up and dealt with because there isn't enough pressure on the other side. Don't um, abandon your archers. Don't abandon your archers. Don't abandon your spears. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. As a spearman, please, <laughs> stop doing that. So, but, but in this significant uh, ground, obviously, so it's a high-risk, high-reward kind of thing. And so, and so to be best, again, the supply train is to say, protect your connection to the rest of the army. Um, do not get too far separated that you cannot support them and they cannot support you. And then to plunder, which is to say, uh, like I said, take advantage of the opportunities presented to you by your uh, situation. In this same idea uh, that there's, there's a high-risk, high-reward situation is difficult ground. And this is ground that is hard to cross, Sun Tzu says, to march through and just to press forward. Um, I, I would say that we take this one literally. The difficult ground is literally just difficult ground. It's, it's very hilly. It's got holes, it's got a bunch of brush or grass or trees or something that makes it difficult to move in, difficult to cross. We've um, been using the same field for 15 years now. Right. And I know exactly where the little divot on the ground is. And I know to be real careful about fighting there because of the number of people I've seen sprain their ankle right, right. there. That is, that is difficult ground. Even if you know about it. Yeah. You have knowledge of the terrain, but uh, it's, it, the, the ground is still difficult. Um, muddy ground uh, if, if there's been a part of the field that's been particularly tore up by hard fighting uh, that can be difficult ground just because of footing issues that's a lot of fun as a spear when you're like I need to get out of here and suddenly you're flat on your back because mud yeah, yeah <laughs> backpedaling through mud that's a, a singular experience hmm. um but yeah, so just try to get out of it as quickly as possible is, what's, uh, is what Sun Tzu is saying here. I, I'm, uh, in terms of um, 40k, uh, perhaps it would be ground, if you're a melee army, it would be ground that is directly in front of the shooting portion of your enemy's line. So it's, it's that last bit of difficult ground that you need to get through before you're, you're to them. Um, press forward. Again, don't hesitate. If you've got gene stealers, you've got orcs. The whole point is to get into melee combat, so try, try, try to get into melee combat. Um, yeah. yeah that's, that's that's the difficult ground. That one's pretty easy, too. Um, constricted, again, uh, the name implies it's got narrow access, but you've got to use cunning in this situation and block ass access points and exits. Bridge uh, battles... Yeah, uh, bridge battles, uh, castles that have uh, a very like a, a any kind of protective wall that is <clears throat> in the middle of your fight. Anything that creates a choke point um, where the field is narrower than it is anywhere else, it's constricted. Again, this one's very literal, um, and you want to make sure that you control the access points and the exits for it. Uh, that that's very important. Um, otherwise, use cutting. Also, pretty easy. That one's literal. Don't have to go <laughs> go into a whole lot of abstract for that. Desperate is the last one. Also, fairly literal. And this is when you're fighting for your life. And the advice is to just fight. Um, the only choice is between life and death. And the only way to achieve life is to win. So you have to fight to be able to do that. Uh, we talked last episode about motivating your troops, making sure they're in the right headspace to quote unquote die. That uh, that motivation to to go in there and meet with it. So I don't think we're gonna beat that one too bad today. Um, yeah, and, and that one can be done anywhere. That's a, when your back is to the edge of the world, when you've been surrounded by the enemy, uh, when you're totally outnumbered, totally outclassed. Uh, that's desperate. Yep. 
Any of it, any 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 of it, and all of it can be desperate. Go down swinging, and if you don't go down, even better. That's right. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of situations, and I only escaped from it because I resolved that I was going to die there, but I was going to die well. I was going to die <laughs> with, with a flourish. Cat, I swear to heaven, you gotta behave yourself. We're gonna institute martial law around here. <laughs> I am playing. Okay. <clears throat> um, yes, I, those are the types of ground. Yeah, um, and, and how best to use them. Um, so the, the rest of the chapter, I, I would just kind of sum up in this idea of the, the snake of Changshen, and I probably butchered that, so somebody please tell me how to pronounce that. But when he's talking about this in the chapter, it's the snake with two heads. So if you strike one head, the other head hits you. If you strike that head, then the, the head, previous head will hit you. And if you hit in the middle, both heads hit you. So how do you defeat this snake? You want to be like the snake in war. Um, and the ways you do that, he has a, a couple of pointers that I just wanted to go over real quick before we get to Mr. Frederick the Great. And if he's got a great after his name, he must be. Um, that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah. That's how it works. Uh, I mean, he actually did this time. But. I mean, he was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> At least when it came to military tactics, he definitely uh, wrote the book, as it were. So, when we're talking about this idea of the two-headed snake, um, see something they value as part of this. Whether that's a position on the field um, in relation to something they value, so charging their, their archers is typically a good way to distract your enemy because a lot of people will, will stop what they're doing to defend their archers. You don't want your archers getting killed. Um, a posi- like a, a place on the field could be an objective. Um, the bell uh, in, a, in a game of ring the bell the king uh, or the king the flag um, something they value uh, make sure that you control it so that they have to change their behavior to come back and get it from you mm-hmm. um, and a good way to do this is the next point is speed catching them unprepared moving unexpectedly and attacking where they're not fortified these are all ideas that have been covered in previous chapters as the the speed is doing the least amount of effort. It doesn't necessarily have to be the fastest. A lot of the swings that I do, and my students will be like, you're, you're so fast, and I'm like, I'm not actually moving that quick. I'm, I've just eliminated the useless movement. I start with my sword here, and then I move. I use body mechanics to just drop the blade. There's no wind-up, there's no pull-back. It just, it's like that six-inch punch that Bruce Lee talks about. Yeah, I describe it as being a very lazy fighter, actually. Yeah. I'm a very lazy <clears throat> fighter. The less I have to move to kill you, the better. And you should be. Yeah. You should be. If you have to, if you have to be out there all day in armor, um, sweating it against other nerds, you want to be, you, it's economy of motion, economy of force, um... So so speed, again, doesn't necessarily have to be fighting faster. It's just fighting smarter, um, fighting lazier. <laughs> yeah. In, 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 what, you, what you were saying. Um, uniting the troops in courage. That's the next thing. Making sure that your team is united in courage. And in this particular case, courage doesn't necessarily have anything to do with cowardice or anything like that. Unless, unless we're talking about what they were talking in the previous chapter, where courage is the motion towards the enemy and cowardice is motion away from the enemy. If you're united in courage, this is the idea of keeping the line together, maintaining that unified front. Um, everybody's moving in the same direction. They've got the same objective in mind. Um, I'm, again, I'm not... This isn't left, right, left, right. This is... Um, but it, it, it's it's more than just a rabble. Yeah. More than just a rabble. Being united. 
<clears throat> the intelligent use of terrain. Again, this idea of force multiplier. I've got it in all caps. I should have underlined it with like four exclamation points after it. Use any force multipliers that you can that are afforded to you your environment. Um, yeah, those are advantages you just you cannot afford to pass up. Um, and then this one's more social. Keeping tight-lipped and being unpredictable is something that he advises. And there has been many a time in my Bellagirth career where I have been talking to a friend. And I figured what I was saying was in confidence, but I maybe talked about something that was going on with my unit, either a battle plan that we had or an internal weakness that was uh, present. This was all in my earlier career, by the way. If the Dark Angels are listening, I've, I've learned how to be a good secret agent since then. Um, <laughs> but like, oh, we're going to hit so-and-so hard, or like, right. oh, we are having trouble fighting archers, or whatever. But the only way that two people can keep a secret as if one of them is dead is what it amounts to um, I'm not saying that, this, that was not advice to kill your friends do not kill your friends unless it's over. an assassin tournament <laughs> then you should absolutely kill your friends um, or you both said lay on and, and agree yeah, then to it's it okay. then you should kill your friends but not with live steel um, and so so don't don't share your plans and also this idea of being unpredictable if your team always does the the same thing or if you as a person always do the same moves people are going to notice people are going to find the pattern and they're going to learn how to defeat you just by being one step ahead of you so maintaining this unpredictability you know if if you are a line fighty unit maybe in in secret practice wolf packing and break out some wolf packing and and surprise people because they're not used to seeing that. Or if it's the reverse, if everybody's used to seeing you wolf pack and work in small groups, um, practice coming together in a line, and and nobody's going to know, know what to do with it because they're not used to seeing a line. Yeah. Oh my God, a Sijin line would be hilarious. It would um, be hilarious, and I think it would be highly effective. On a smaller note, like even just with your own fighting, you can look at it too. Of if you always open with a you know left side chop. Right. I'm going to know to, like, okay, I'm fighting so-and-so. They're going to do their left side chop. I can block right here, and that gives me more room to, like, experiment and play or, like, respond to it faster. Right. At the same time, if you notice that you're doing left side chop, toss to the right instead, and they'll be like, oh, he's going to do a lefty chop again, and you can shake stuff up, and I've gotten kills that way, convincing them that, oh, I always start with this. And then, yeah, doing and, it, but not actually intending to follow through and move into something else. Yeah. 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 If, if you're sparring a person, say, ten <clears throat> times, and the first three times you always open with the same shot, fourth time open with something else, and there's a chance they'll be prepped for that first shot instead. Right. right. Well, yeah, everybody wants to notice patterns. So be unpredictable, and you can out- outthink that. Um, and being unpredictable, you first have to understand the way other people think, which brings us to the next point that Sun Tzu makes in this part of the chapter, which is understanding the priorities of nobles. Again, something we've talked about on this show before, but think of the nobles as the movers and shakers at any particular event, realm, or unit. Um, these are people who influence the way that other people behave, think, um, or, or game. It can even just kind of be the unit personality itself. Or even, yeah, yeah, just the unit personality itself. Knowing the general build of of a person who, who go, is in a general unit. Um, the BOF is going to BOF. The EBF is going to EBF. The GELF are going to do whatever sounds interesting at the time. Uh, but you can predict what we're going to do based off of... If you got the familiarity, To an extent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
not not exactly, but understanding the priorities of each unit, why they fight, um, who they enjoy fighting, who they're good at fighting. These are these are good things to know uh, in terms of trying to predict what they're going to do and using it to your advantage. Um, understanding terrain. In, in Warhammer 40k, this is absolutely literal. You need to review the terrain section of the rulebook and know what each of the terrain pieces does and how your units relate to them. It's very important to keep up with that in the meta because that is a huge part of how we play the game and how the units interact with each other on the board. Um, but it's also true in Belagarth, understanding uh, principles of fighting uphill versus downhill, uh, in wooded areas, not wooded areas, all the things we've been talking about on this show, it's absolutely critical. Um, and it's a good part of being this snake, this, this idea of being able to strike from whatever angle is your, your opponent is weak. Um, and the last point that he's, he presses on here was something we were kind of talking about before. But it's the idea of a meritocracy, which is the exact opposite of nepotism. So a meritocracy is where, pe where, where people get what they deserve, um, where people are awarded things as they are deserving, where they have merit, uh, whereas nepotism, people get things because of their closeness to power. Uh, in, in nepotism, I select somebody for a lieutenant position, not because I think they make a good lieutenant, but because they're my buddy, and uh, I want to hook them up, and I want to say, okay, now you get to come to unit meetings because I just want to hang out with my buddies. Um as opposed to, this person has worked really hard for it, this person has really strived, I may not agree, not agree with everything they say, um, but people respect them, and they'd be a good They're working, working for the good of the group every right. time, too. Right, So that, that's a meritocracy, and, and that always works better. People would, would far prefer following an officer that they believe in over an officer that just got it because they knew somebody. Um, I've seen units break apart. Uh, or or suffer schisms because of nepotism, um, because people didn't feel like somebody got what they deserved. Uh, this idea of justice, people, everybody craves justice, especially when it comes to them. <laughs> kind of happened in nineteenth century Europe a lot. Yeah, like what, what do you mean? when when you can just buy your own rank suddenly. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, and and, and it started uh, becoming a problem. That that actually is it's interesting you say that because that's a good segue. Into, uh, <laughs> into our battle. Do you have anything else you want to see on the chapter before we get into our battle? No, I think we're good, man. Like, let's yeah. uh, so teach me of... about this great man. So, this Frederick the Great, um, for those who have not necessarily read about him, he was a Prussian general. Now, uh, Prussia was a small country. Think about the area of, like, Poland, Ukraine, um, like Lithuania, like that kind of area, um, eastern Germany, yeah, East Prussia. They were devastatingly good army for a long time. Excellent army, excellent uh, political advantages. You can imagine being there between Russia, which was the political powerhouse at various times throughout history, and then the rest of Europe. They had a great position, and they, they used it very well. Um, and uh, in this particular case, we're, we're dealing with uh, the 1757. Uh, and th this battle is taking place in Luthen. Um, it's been, like I said, sorry, it's, it <laughs> I just zoned out again. Oh, it's been a long day. Thumbs is out a long day. I've been up since like three this morning. Uh, yeah, I'm ready for a nap. We appreciate you all dealing with us. Um, you got something to say real quick? I wanted to put a stimulant to my brain. <laughs> uh, apparently not. What do you got? What, what, what's a question? Do I got a framing question? Okay, so... Uh, 
Prussia's this. Who is? Who are they fighting? Sorry. That's a good question. Uh, so they're going against Austria. And uh, on the one side, you've got Frederick the Great, who he may have come from a noble family, but he, and he didn't. He didn't. He wasn't a person who studied military science early on in his youth. He wasn't obsessed with it. Um, but after he became a ruler and had to do it, he showed an a, a extreme uh, aptitude mm-hmm. <laughs> for it. Whereas on the other side, you had the kind of exact opposite. You had Prince Charles of Lorraine and uh, the Count Leopold uh, Joseph von Dorn. And both of these fellows had their positions because of their relationships to people in power. Prince Charles was the prince, as his name implies. Yeah, it's so going to get you a rank. He was, uh, yeah, he was put into the position because of who he was related to. Now, the time period that we're talking about, this is during the Seven Years' War. Um, you might say, Seven Years' War? That sounds familiar as an American. Uh, it, it should, because this is the same Seven Years' War that was taking place in the United States that was occurring between uh, France and, and Britain at the time. Yeah. It was like the French, Indian, and, and, and Britain. Um, but on the continent, it was uh, the, the lines that had been drawn were France and Austria, versus Prussia and Britain. Now, it it started as an effort to break the British dominance of the Atlantic trade routes. That did uh, not work. Uh, no, not, not so much at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the aim of it, was to kind of disrupt that, because the British were all over the place colonizing, um, expanding their economy. And so uh, France and Austria wanted to get in on the action, and they wanted to disrupt what Britain was doing. So um, this comes in the midst of, of that time of conflict um yeah any other I, that, that this I, is still mostly like muskets and cannon fire yep, like combat yeah yep. we're dealing with uh not a whole lot of very sophisticated weaponry uh not swords and shields but um no automatic or even semi-automatic weaponry mm-hmm. uh, to speak of at this point britain's into its redcoats phase very much into its red- again this is just before the american civil war um revolutionary war yeah, that one. <laughs> it's way <laughs> before the Civil War. A hundred years before the Civil War. I'm really tired if I'm messing up that date. Oh, man. So, Frederick was a master at using these force multipliers that we're talking about. And the numbers that were uh, taking place here uh, kind of reflect that. He had about 33,000 troops, whereas the Habsburgs um, had 66,000. So we're talking about a two-to-one advantage um, and when you're dealing with, with projectiles and uh, cannons, that can be a huge issue. Yeah. Um, but in this particular case, uh, Frederick manipulated the battlefield to his advantage, and he, but he didn't have any fine choke points. This wasn't an idea like Thermopylae where there was like a, a narrow pass and he used it. Um, he used hills. Uh, the, the, this area around Luthen is deceptive. It's a lot like, uh, for us, it would be like uh, Wyoming or uh, eastern Washington or eastern Montana, where you would call it, quote-unquote, flat. But it's not very flat. But it's not actually flat because of the hilliness of it. You could actually hide a fairly good-sized force in one of those little dells, one of those little <laughs> nooks or crannies, and you wouldn't be able to see them until you're right on top of them. Yeah. Uh, so that was the nature of the land here as well. You're dealing with some very hilly land, um, and, the, and the weather was foggy on the 5th of December. Um, so Frederick, uh, he, leads a diversion, he leaves a diversionary force on the Austrian right, Make sure that it's in a visible spot, but he starts to deploy the bulk of his forces toward 
toward Luthen. So this is toward the Austrian left. Um, and now the, the diversion is moving up, uh, but Frederick is kind of shifting his the, the force over, and it cannot be seen. Again, we're talking about the, the, these hills blocking the line of sight just right. Um, now, the prince commits to it. He commits to this diversion. He gets, he gets really focused on it. We're talking about a single column of cavalry out of a, a whole army. He's got this one single column of cavalry that he can see, and he is just fixated upon it. Those ones. That's, that's where he's coming from. That's what's happening. Now, he, he made some really key mistakes in making this assumption. Before we go in, I want to give you some spoilers. He had no patrols out. What? I, <laughs> no patrols to, to look at where the enemy was or what they were doing. Like, I have never fought in this style of combat in my life and never will. And even I'm like, no, but, like... You, even you would probably put out some reconnaissance. Right, like, hey, Bob, go see what's behind that tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bob, right, okay, case, they're behind the tree. Or in this case, what's behind that hill. Yeah. It turned out to be a very piece, important piece of information that they were lacking. Um, they had <laughs> also... No pickets. So you know what a picket is. A picket is like a forward deployed point uh, that is like a defensive... Yeah, it's kind of like a rally point. Or like a, a scout. It's like a like a, uh, a scout or an advance, an advance listening post or, yeah. or just something that's out ahead of your troops that says, oh, hey, somebody's coming. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. No pickets. There were no pickets out. So either. he was doing zero work on the actual prep part, being like, it's okay, we have three times the bullets. And and this is all with, this was not new, Frederick was not new to war. He had been, this conflict had been going on for a while, he had fought in several engagements at this point, he had made a bit of a name for himself, and he was known for mixing it up. He was known for diversions, he was known for feints. You're saying he was... Unpredictable. I'm saying that he was predictable in his unpredictability. <laughs> okay. So the fact that you could clearly see the single column of Cav... You should be able to be like, well, something's not right there, here. Yeah, there should have been a two-in-one kind of equation occurring. <laughs> but no, uh, Prince Charles just kind of goes into this, assuming that because he's got double the numbers, he's going to win. Fixates on this this group of Cav, and, and even when the nature of the situation starts to materialize, he doesn't adjust his plan until it's too late. So these are the, the key issues that he deals, or the, the, or the key uh, mistakes that he's making mm-hmm. in this battle. The so, key issues he's failing to deal with. Suddenly there's an army on his left. Again, he's been fixated on this cavalry unit, this, this, this single column on his right. Suddenly there's an army <laughs> that has popped up on his left, and uh, Austria tries to respond, but it's too late. Uh, Frederick is already moving, and they're and they're they talk about this one hill. There's a hill that Frederick takes at one point that was kind of overlooking, and if he hadn't taken this hill, he probably wouldn't have won the battle. But because he put his guns up on top of this hill, seized it. They've got all this extra range. It's harder to hit them. They've got fields of fire on yeah. the entire Austrian forces, and that 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 overfire can be huge, especially when you're dealing with a fairly inaccurate musket fire having cannon fire raining down on top of you, that <laughs> encourages people to leave. Yeah. Um, in one way or another, whether it's a body bag or... or um, multiple body bags. Multiple body bags <laughs> or on foot in a rapid fashion. Um, so yeah, it, it ended poorly. Uh, everything got wrapped up. Frederick added another notch to his belt and the Battle of Luthen went very much in Prussia's favor. Um, 
massive losses for the for the Habsburg side uh, because again they just weren't prepared they weren't prepared to deal with it so what did they do here they used the ground to their advantage like we said this this uh, the diversionary force that moved behind the hillocks now some pickets or some patrols may have also changed the yeah, they had of this somewhat. Um, but being able to lead this diversionary force and use that terrain to your advantage and reposition to be on your opponent's weak side, um, that was huge. Uh, and, 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 and Fred, again, Frederick was known for it. The fact that Prince Charles couldn't figure that out and, and say, you know what? He's, he's known for repositioning and hitting people on the flank. Maybe, just maybe, He'll do it again. That sounds like crazy talk. You know, it, 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 it was crazy. <laughs> right up until it wasn't. <laughs> and then it very much wasn't. <clears throat> All right, so that's the Battle of Luthen. Any questions? Exciting. Like you said, we know how the, the Seven-Year War ended because um, they didn't perpetuate it. There was a massive tax debt that was then passed on to America, and America wasn't pleased about that and had themselves a little tea party and, yeah... Next thing you know, the Hamilton musical happens. God, I have to see that. Like, I, I there, there was a song that came up on one of my uh, playstations uh, or my playlists yeah. the other day, and I haven't actually heard anything from Hamilton yet, and I, I was listening to it, and I was like, I actually have to probably listen to this. I've been telling you that for like three years. I know. I'm slow. I, I didn't want to <laughs> listen to Repo for the longest time, and then I actually, like, somebody was, it was t- Turkey Feathers. He was playing Repo, the genetic opera, on his... Uh, Radio like, what is this? on the way back, and I'm like, "This is gorgeous. What is this?" And he's like, "It's that movie I've been trying to get you to watch." <laughs> I told you. Well, like uh, Hamilton's coming to Spokane next spring, so they're coming. Right. Actually, I mean, it's not the original cast, right? Anymore, right? Right? But, like, but still, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, my dad I saw it. That out. He didn't stop talking about it every time I saw him for a while after that. I believe it. I believe it. All right. Well, I think that's. Uh, that's our show for the day. Any, anything, uh, yeah, I think that, that sums up my thoughts on the yeah. chapter. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, attacking with fire. Um, and again, probably not literal fire in the case of, of Belagarth. No, please, no. Toto, I still remember the, the cloak that was ruined. Don't think I've forgotten. <laughs> Speaking of attacking with fire. but <laughs> So that's what we're doing next week. Um just wanted to give a shout out to our parent company again, Nightmare Box Presents, for doing all the things they do. Um, Brett and Kristen are amazing, and uh, they were they work exceptionally hard. Uh, Kristen's got her own YouTube and uh, site that you can go to uh, where she's got her sh- uh, her movie, The Dolls, up uh, among other things. Uh, Brett has his book, The Madman Diaries, and he's also working on a couple other things as well. So keep them in mind; they're over there at. Uh, Mistakes Were Made is their podcast. I highly recommend if you're an artist of any stripe uh, to check them out and uh, to laugh and learn with Brett and Kristen. Yeah. Um, And, you know, if you enjoyed us, the best thing you can do to help us is like our page, subscribe to our podcast, uh, review it, good or bad, let us know how we're doing. Please, yeah. Uh, And tell your friends about it. Like, it sounds trite because every podcast does it but really it is the most helpful thing you can do is get one more person to listen absolutely uh, i mean the second we can monetize this the second i can get better equipment uh, i can get a better recording space we could I have can two microphones start going to events doing event coverage getting you guys some some good on the ground yeah yeah you feel where i'm going with this so, yeah, we so feel we're going 
hook us up. Um, Thumbs also has a podcast that he does. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, recently with a couple of friends of mine started a new podcast network called Earworm. It's like Earworm, but with these. It's kind of silly, but whatever. Uh, you can listen to my podcast there uh, called General Nerdery with Zach and Tyler. It is... I'm Zach, by the way. You might not know that we haven't used that name. Uh, but it's just two guys talking about liking things. So I think if you enjoy this, you would probably enjoy that. Most likely. So give that a, give that a check out as well. Um, you can check us out. I, I try to maintain the Instagram. You would not believe how hard it is to maintain it. Do a creator Instagram account until you try to do one. I cannot get it to team up with uh, my Facebook page. Uh, I'll try to show you how to do that. Okay. Um, there's a little setting thing you can do there. But uh, we are at Art of War Gaming Podcast there at Instagram. Uh, you can email me. Um, I would love to hear any thoughts, criticisms, concerns, ideas for new shows, ideas for topics. Uh, heck, just to say hi, uh, you can email us at artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, The Art of War Game. Uh, remember, please, uh, to go and vote. We've got the uh, where we're going next. Uh, remember, we're doing the, the voting on the books, and you get to choose. Um, I've got it here somewhere. We've got Strategy by B.H. Liddell Hart, uh, The Art of War by Machiavelli, On War by Klaus Fitz, and The Military Maxims of Napoleon are the choices for our next book. So please go to our Facebook page and make sure that you vote in that. Uh, Give us your feedback. Um, And... Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, for this week, this has been Yagamalark. And I'm Thumbs. Signing off.